You're listening to audio from Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. For more information, go to cbcsavannah.com. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings And here's the result, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Pray for our future, and that is our hope. So let me pray for our time in the word, and then we'll jump in. Father, I pray as we open the scriptures this morning for your help. I pray that you would speak to your people. I pray this would be refreshing and would just meet them where they're at. As we look at the very words of Christ um, as he he goes home. Just help me, fill me with your spirit, because I need, I just can't do anything apart from you. Uh, We we think of our nation, Lord, and just, uh, we are commanded to pray for our leaders, and so we do. We pray uh, for a new president and his new cabinet and all all the new congressmen and senators that will be uh, making laws and, and, and governing, Lord. Whether they acknowledge you or not, may you guide their hands uh, and may they, may they rule with righteousness and, and in a way that you would have them to. Uh, we pray for, for peace in our nation, for, for all the angst and the division to subside. Um, and may Christians be, uh, be the reason for that. Because we, by nature, are filled with love, joy, and peace and patience. Uh, we pray for our nation. And, and just as we remember even today, the sanctity of human life and just a horrible decision made 40 years ago to allow uh, the murder of children. And we pray that as a country, that we would repent of that and turn from that, and that less and less that would be taking place. Uh, we know that you love children, Lord, that they are a blessing, and so I just pray for us to be, again, a influencer in that way, that we would love those so that they would see the value of this, this precious gifts that you have given us. And so bless our time in your word. It's for Christ's name I pray. Amen. You guys got have a seat. Thanks. I was thinking about this today, how many sermons have I preached? And what is almost, it'll be 10 years that I've been at CBC, 10 years this March. I think, how many sermons with all our four services and three services and two services? And, and, and I, I couldn't quite figure it out. I couldn't kind of, it's, it's almost a thousand maybe. And, and to be honest with you, out of a thousand plus sermons that I've preached in, in, in this time, most of them are a blur. I, I remember the books of the Bible that I've preached, but most of them are a blur. A few of them stand out. 
Like back in the early days, I preached in a Phillies jersey after the 08 World Series win. Okay, so I remember that one. I remember our first time across the river in uh, the convention center. I remember I got the selfie still that I took in the middle for those who were there for that one. And I can remember when the power and the AC went out and it was like 100 degrees and people were all fan. I, I, remember, I remember those, it was something weird happens. But for the most part, everything's a blur. I do remember one sermon I preached very early on. It's actually before I even came here. It was when I was in seminary and I went to my home church in, back in Philly. They somehow found out I was coming home. And so they said, hey, would you preach? And so I said, sure. You know, I'm in seminary, I have, to do, I have to say yes. And so I put on a tie, because that's their gig, they wear ties and coats. That's the last time I think I wore one, maybe, I don't remember. But put on a tie, got up on stage, right? I don't know what they were expecting. I had like two sermons under my belt at that time. So I, I think they, were, I hope they were not thinking I was going to be like this magnificent preacher. But I preached a passage out of 2 Thessalonians I had preached before. I got a B on that sermon in seminary, so I figured I might as well give him my B sermon. I got a couple C sermons. I'm going to give him the B. So I gave him the B, right? And what was great about it is they got all my jokes, all my Philly jokes, all right? I could make fun of anybody, and they laughed, and they got it. I, I could speak as fast as I wanted, and I didn't get complaints. Like, you speak too fast. You're from the north. I know that, right? I got it. Uh, okay, so I, I, they, they understood me. I was speaking their lingo, and I got down, and I got, and, and, it, and it was greeted with what you expect. Great job. So proud. Oh, I remember little Billy Fowler. I remember you changed your diapers. I used to watch it in the nursery. You know, I get all that. I had one guy who was my youth leader come up to me. He was an old Marine, and he, he said, I don't like three-point sermons, and I had three points. I was like... He's, but then he said, but that, that was pretty good. First one I ever liked. I thought, oh, very good. All right. I mean, the reality was the sermon stunk. I mean, it wasn't as bad as Cain's first sermon here, but it, <laughs> I, it, that'll still go down in lore. No, it wasn't that bad. We just joke about that with him. But it wasn't a great sermon, right? But it, boy, we're so proud of you. Way to go. That was the, you know, I got out and people were so happy and I kind of went back to seminary and that was that. Got out, no harm, no foul. We're going to see the Lord Jesus today go home to his hometown and preach his first sermon. And it's going to start out much like mine. It's going to be, boy, way to go, great sermon. But it's going to end with them trying to chuck him off a mountain, right? Which is a quite a contrast, such a nice homecoming for Jesus, right? One minute you're the best preacher they ever heard, the next minute they want to kill you. And so what happened? And, and, and we need to ask that question. Not that I'm worried about you balcony people chucking me off the balcony at the end, all right? I'm not worried about that, right? There you go. There you go, Luke. That's right. You're not going to do it. But here's what I am concerned with, that the root issue that these people that Jesus is preaching to, that, that, that causes them to turn so angry, is the same root issue that we see in American church right now. And, and what it is, at, at its simplest, is a, it's a cultural Christianity. Right? Where this is something we do, and this is the 9 o'clock service, so I realize this is the holy people, right? Came in the rain. But that this is something that we do, that this is kind of a box we check, but it's not something we really are. It doesn't impact us to the core. It's just a cultural thing. And so we're going to walk through that today and just kind of identify some of those tendencies because we want to guard against that. We want to be different. All right, so we're going to be in Luke chapter 4. Verses 14 through 30. And I'm going to work quickly through the text. 
We have gone so far, you, we've seen, as, as Luke's theme is the fall and rise, right? And we've seen the miraculous birth of Jesus and John, and we've seen the preparation of John and his, and his preaching and his baptism. Last week, we saw the preparation of Jesus as he's tempted, as he's baptized, right? He goes off into the wilderness, identifying with us, we're meeting us where we're at. Well, today we see kind of this, his ministry in action. And, and what we're actually going to find is we are one year into his ministry in this passage, Okay, so what Luke has done is he's organized his material. He wants you to know up front kind of this is the reception that's typical for Jesus. All right, so we're actually a year into Jesus' ministry at this point. That's how he's organized his material. You'll find these, this passage also in Mark and in Matthew's gospel, and they're later on because it's later on. But he wants to put it up front because he wants you to know everywhere Jesus goes, this is, this is the way they treat him, even in his own hometown. All right, so let's look at the text. Verse 14. And Jesus returned in power, again, this is from the wilderness where he's being tempted, in the spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And so Jesus is going around the area of Galilee. He's just preaching. His ministry at this point is a preaching ministry with some healing on the side. That is why he came. In fact, later in this chapter, he's going to be in a town, and things are going super well. I mean, people are just flocking to him. They're flocking. All these people coming, and the disciples are like, hey, we need, just need, to, we need to stay here. I mean, we got a good thing going. Let's buy a shopping center and, and put a church in it, and we'll just have ministry right out of here. And Jesus tells them, he says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to every to towns. I got, I got to go everywhere. This is why I was sent. All right? It's not to sit still and get this one group. I got to go everywhere. I'm preaching the kingdom of God is here. That's his message. And so he's like, this is why I am here until I go to the cross is to proclaim. And there's, and there's just something about Jesus' teaching, y'all, that is just riveting. That even though people don't always agree, they just, they just flock to him. And, and it's his simplicity, his authority, and, and just how practical he is. In fact, in my, in my Bible, I put, at the very top of my Bible, I put sap. Simple, authoritative, practical. This is a, the model of Jesus' preaching. He was straightforward, he was authoritative, and he was very practical. And, that, and that's been my goal the last 10 years, if anything else. And sometimes I failed and sometimes I've been successful. Keep it simple, make sure your authority comes from the Word of God, and make it practical. I'm a sap. I'm a sap. Right? And I'm trying, trying to be. So here he comes. He's preaching in Galilee. And finally he makes it to Nazareth. So he comes to Nazareth. And just think about that little phrase. And he came to Nazareth. His hometown. Right? You know what it's like to go back home? If you've got kids, you've done the whole, let's go take the kids to where I used to go to school. And let's go to my, butt, and my best friend. And we used to go when he had a tree house out back. And this is the best pizza place in the world. And this is the best this. right? This best. And you take your kids there. And you just know all those emotions and feelings. You've got you to know that Jesus is walking up the hill to Nazareth. And he sees that field he played in as a boy. And he remembers that lady that used to live over there. And she used to give him, oh, every afternoon she'd give him a snack. Right? And, and so all those emotions, and there's got to be a little of excitement. Right? And so he goes to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. He went to worship with everybody else. And remember, this is the synagogue he grew up in. You've been home to homecoming. Right? You, you, all you Baptists know a homecoming, right? You know, every 30, yeah, it's a homecoming. And everyone comes from all over. And they bring macaroni and cheese and, and, and lousy green bean casserole. 
right? But that's the idea. He's going to the, to the very synagogue where he grew up learning the scriptures. He knows all the faces. All the old ladies are like, I used to watch you when you were in the nursery. I had you in Sunday school. Right? He's going there, and they've heard he's coming, and the rumors are all over. Jesus is doing this, and no, Jesus is doing this. Have you heard about Jesus? And so they want him to preach, of course. Right? Come preach in your home church. And so, and in the typical service in a synagogue back then, very simple. They would recite the Shema, the Hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. They would have some prayers. There would be a, a, a reading from the law. There would be a reading from the prophets. There'd be a, ser- a little sermon. And there'd be a benediction. Very simplistic. And so Jesus' portion of this service, they'd give him the prophet reading. Right? So he goes to the synagogue and he stood up to read. They would stand to read the scripture. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolls the scroll and found it in the place where it was written. Let's just hold right there. Remember, they don't have their own Bibles. There's no quiet time, no quiet time journals. There's a couple scrolls in each synagogue. This this synagogue just happens to have an Isaiah scroll. Here's a picture of of about what Jesus was given. This is the actual scroll from the Qumran caves. It is dated at 2 BC. This is the entire book of Isaiah. Right? This is what it looks like. This is probably very similar to what Jesus was handed. Right? Something very similar to this. Piece of parchment, leather, something, and he would unroll. And notice the text says that he found the place where it was written. Here's why that's significant. Their Bible was not like our Bible. You're like, where's Isaiah. You go to the table of contents, page 936, you open it up, there's chapter divisions, there's not. This is what Jesus was dealing with. This is that actual Qumran scroll. This is the entire book of Isaiah, all right, unrolled. And if you look a little closer, this is what it looks like. Notice there's no numbers. There's no chapter divisions, right? It's just one long rolling text. And why that's important, because it says Jesus found he specifically unrolls to what we would call a Isaiah chapter 61. That's pretty far into the book. And he finds this one portion of scripture and he reads it. And it's a, it's a scripture that's loaded with messianic overtones. It says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news sight to the blind. has sent me. To proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's the year of jubilee. Every 50 years they would free the slaves. They would forgive the debts. That's what he's talking about. And he stops right there. Boom. And he rolls the scroll up. And it's interesting. He stops right in the middle of what we would call verse 2. He stops right in the middle of verse 2. And there's, more, there's a whole other line here in, the, in, in Isaiah that says, and the day of vengeance of God. Why does he stop there? Because it's not time for the day of vengeance of God. Right now it's the time for the Lord's favor. Because his Messiah is here. So he rolls it up, gives back to the attendant, and he sits down. And he doesn't sit down because he's done. And that day, when you were ready to teach, you would sit. Right? So if you, th- you see some hipster with a glass of water and a stool on stage, you think he's just trying to be cool. He's actually being biblical, all right? He's sitting when he's teaching. Jesus sits down to teach, and everybody is just fixated on him. 
And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed. There, there's nobody looking at their bulletin. What's the, what's the next thing? When's Jesus going to go? No one's going to the restroom. Oh, I got to get, you know. They're just waiting in anticipation. What's he going to say? And so Jesus scans the crowd, and it's probably standing room only. Right? And he begins to say to them. And here's his simple, authoritative, practical. You can't get more simple than this. It's ten words in the original Greek. Here's a ten-word sermon. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, we don't have a category for that. That is truly remarkable. The equivalent is this. Think about this. Isaiah is written 700 B.C. So someone in the year 1316, right, writes down a prophecy. Today, on the day, what's today? The 20, I can't even see my watch. My eyes are so bad. Today, on the January something, it's going to rain hard and half the church is going to stay home. (laughs) And I open it up to that text and I say, today, this text has been fulfilled in your hearing. That 700 years earlier, this guy prophesied, which exactly happens. And they are sitting there watching biblical prophecy unfold right in front of their eyes. And you know what? They love it at first. And they all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words coming from his mouth. (laughs) Great sermon. It was 10 words. I got out early. We We got to the restaurant early. Good job, Jesus. Praise God. I just loved your transition, how you went from the, the text into the, and, the, and you were so kind of, you know, your joke was so good up front. And, and they just love it. boy. That's our, that's our guy. Going to put Nazareth on the map. But then they start to think, wait, did he say what I think he said? I think he did. He, he said, He basically said that he was the Messiah. That's exactly what he said. What Jesus was saying is, all that Isaiah said, all that the prophets have foretold, all your expectations and your hopes and your dreams of freedom and all these things, everything you've been talking about since Abraham, that is me. Here I am. And they're thinking to themselves, isn't this Joseph's son? He was on my kid's little league team. He stunk. Him and his dad came over that year and they fixed our fence. Do you remember? He went to school with little, with little Jacob, remember? What's he talking about? And so this is a, where it goes bad. Because Jesus is reading their minds and he said, oh, sermon's not done yet. He says, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb. Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you do at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. What they're saying is, if you are who you say you are, prove it. You've been doing all these miracles all down in Capernaum and all everywhere else. Shouldn't you show your stuff? Do your thing. Here's somebody sick over there. Go do it. Go heal it. Go. And he's, they're challenging him to prove what he has said. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. It is true that no one is accepted in his own hometown. Right? The idea is, the tendency is for us when there's someone close to us, we don't listen to them. 
right? Because the more you can get to know them, the more you know them. You're like, ah, that's just Joe, right? I can tell you right now, my kids don't walk around the house, Pastor Bill. Pastor Bill, can you lay hands on me, Pastor Bill? That's right. I mean, I went to my reunion a couple months ago. I walk in, me and my wife are waiting in line to get our name tags, and all my old buddies are like, Foulmail Fowler's here, oh, Foulmail, come on over. I'm like, no profit, because well, that was me. I'm still Foulmouth Fowler to them. I'm still little Billy Fowler who I changed your diapers in Philly. I'm still dad, right? And that, that's the idea. He said, hey, I'm from here. I'm not going to have respect. No one ever respects. You know the joke, the old joke, what, what the definition of an expert is, right? Someone from out of town, right? Well, pay that guy to come in. He must know. He's not from Savannah. And, and that's the idea here, right? That, that's, that's the tendency. They're like, you... you what are you talking about? We know your brothers. We know James. We know Ju- Judas. We know Joseph. We, Josephs. We know Simeon. We know your sisters. In fact, your sister's married to my cousin. What are you talking about? And it said in the, in the Gospel of Mark that they're actually offended. They are offended that he would say this. And since they're offended already, Jesus says, oh, you might as well go the full nine yards. And so he's going to give two illustrations that are very familiar with them. They don't even, he doesn't even explain them to them because they get them. For us, unless we know our Old Testament real well, they're, they're kind of a little bit, you know, I don't, I don't get the point. So let me kind of real quick unpack them for you so you understand what he's saying. Verse 25, he says, In truth, I tell you, there were many widows in, in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of the Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And he's referring to a passage, you can do your homework and go kind of study it, in 1 Kings chapter 17, where Israel has gone into Baal worship, they're sacrificing children, they're, they're following all these false gods, and so God causes a famine to come on the land through the prophet Elijah for three and a half years. And then he tells Elijah to get out of Dodge, and he is going to be provided for by this Gentile widow that's inside him. And he goes to her, and she is there, and she has a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil, and she is making two cupcakes, one for her son, one for her, and then they are both going to die of starvation because that's the last of the food. And Elijah comes in the house, and he says, hey, why don't you make me a cupcake first? Right? Very, very chivalrous of him. Hey, you're going to die. Why don't you give me what's left? But, but it was an issue of trust for this woman. She was standing in a position of death. She's either going to die tomorrow or the next day, but she's going to die. So I might as well trust God with this little bit of flour, a little oil. And so she makes the cupcake for Elijah. And what happens is God continually, every day they'd wake up and there's just enough oil and just enough flour for every day until the famine was over. And what, what Jesus is saying is, you remember that story? And they're like, yeah, I remember that story. Remember that there was many widows in Israel that didn't get their needs met? We do remember that. You remember that there was a widow who was a Gentile who did? We do remember that. Mm-hmm. And then he tells another story. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, different prophet, and none of them was cleansed but only Naaman. I preached this text a couple years ago on Easter. There's this... The the nation Syria is is right next to the nation of Israel. It's kind of like Canada. So you can imagine the Canadians were like doing raids on on America and they take a bunch of elementary kids away. We're not, that's not going to happen. They'll beat us at hockey, but nothing else. But but that's the idea. This this border nation comes in, takes a bunch of the elementary school kids and, and goes back. And this general, their highest general named Naaman, takes a little girl, a little third grader. 
and he gets leprosy, which is a death sentence. And this sweet little third grade girl says, oh, I just wish, I wish my master would get to go see Elisha. He could heal, heal him. And so he does. He goes and sees the prophet Elisha. And Elisha says, if you want to be healed, go down to the Jordan River. It's kind of nasty, but go down there and wash seven times and you'll be healed. And Naaman at first is like, you, do you know who I am? I'm the joint chiefs of Canada. I'm the top dog. You want me to go to your weak sauce river? You want me to listen to you, this prophet from a ghetto nation? I'm gonna, if I'm going to wash, I'm going to wash in one of my rivers. I'm not going to wash in your river. And he's offended and he walks away, but his servants convince him to go back. And so finally he does and he washes in the Jordan River. And when he comes out that seventh time, he is cleansed externally, but then he is a change of heart. He realizes the God of Israel is the one true God. He is the one true God. And what Jesus says, you remember that story? Remember that name in the leper guy? Yeah, we remember that story. Remember how many lepers there were in Israel in that day? Lots of lepers, right? And only one, a Gentile, pagan, enemy of Israel was healed. And what's Jesus' point here in telling him this? He says, y'all have been rejecting God's prophets from day one. This is nothing new. You tried to persecute Isaiah and Jeremiah and all these guys. You've been rejecting, you haven't been humbling, you haven't been trusting God. And so what does God do when you do that? He goes to someone who will listen, i.e. a widow in Zarephath and Naaman the leper. And this is when it really goes badly. They understand exactly what he is saying, right? And they heard these things and all the synagogue was filled with wrath. And they rose up and they drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built. Why? So that they could throw him down the cliff. He's got one sermon and they want to kill him. All right. But passing through their midst, he went away. And there's this miracle that happens. And we don't exactly know. I picture it like Wiley e. Coyote and the, the Roadrunners, this big cloud of dust and they're all fighting. And Jesus is kind of just walking away. But he is miraculously just walks through their midst and is delivered. Why? Because it's not his time yet. Now there's going to be another mob in two years that's going to grab him and try to kill him. And the father's going to let him. But it's not his time yet. So he leaves. And y'all, he never goes back to Nazareth in his ministry. You believe that? Not one time. So, so what's, what's the problem? Because again... I'm not super worried. There's only like 12 of you in the balcony, so I'm not really worried. I can run faster than you, right? But what's the root issue here? It's a cultural Christianity. I mean, they're not going to call it that because there's no Christianity, but it's just a, it's a cultural deal. All right, y'all, this is not a bunch of terrorists. This is a bunch of country church folk. They love sermons. They love singing songs and hymns. They love prayer meetings. They haven't missed community group in 12 years. These are church folk. So how can they go from attaboy Jesus, best preacher ever, to chuck him off the balcony in 10 words? Right? Let me give you just a couple thoughts. Just, these are the two, two ideas that, that we want to flee from, that we want to be on guard from. That they're very cultural Christianity. And see if you identify with any of these. Because I think if you're honest, you will. Because I am. Right? Very challenging for me. Here, here's the first one. Here's what Christi cultural Christianity does. It's put, it puts God in a box. 
Don't put God in a box. God is not a happy meal. God is not have it your way. They are putting their God in a box. Think about it. They're saying, Jesus, I love your sermon. Great sermon. Great message. I can deal with that liberty and freedom and, and, and blindness. And I can deal with that. That's all. I can be on board with all that, Jesus. But I just am having a problem with this whole Messiah piece. So, so if you can give me the, the love and the peace and the freedom, but you take out the Jesus is God piece, I can be on with that. But otherwise, we're just going to separate those two. That's, that's the heart of what we hear today, isn't it? Jesus is a great moral teacher. He's a great defender of the poor. He's a great example for us. I can get on board with that. But Jesus is God? Jesus is the exclusive way to heaven? Jesus is the only way to have your sins forgiven? Not comfortable with that. Good teacher, yes. Savior, no. But y'all, you can't break the two up. If Jesus is a good teacher then what he says is true. He cannot be a good teacher if he is claiming to be God, claiming to be, to be the only way to heaven, claiming to be able to forgive your sins. If he, is, if he is claiming those things and they are not true, he is not a good teacher. He is a, a Ponzi scheme, right? He is a lunatic. You can't, you, can't, you, can't, you can't put him in a box and say, oh, I'll take this part of Jesus, I'll take this part of Jesus. Here's, here's a piece I see that we do in the church all the time, all the time. Right, where when I like that make, Jesus makes me happy, I like that Jesus helps me in my need. I like that He provides for this. I like He makes my life good. I'm happy with that Jesus. But don't ever make, don't ever let things fall apart. Don't ever let things get hard. Don't ever call me to anything. I mean, I'm all good with the prosperity piece, but the whole like adversity piece, don't want that. So when we're here, we're good. I'll, I'll be faithful when everything's good. And when, when, when everything falls apart, then I'm going to go my own way because you're not holding your end of the deal. see it all the time. Probably the biggest is, is how we live in the South. And this is what we do. I got my church box. You're in it right now. Isn't it great? Nice church box. It's amazing how we come in the room and all of a sudden we're Mother Teresa, Right? You're speaking with King James, Dallas blesses you today, brother, right? That's the church box. And some of you to go to extra mile, you'll do the quiet time box. And if you're really good, you'll do the, the community group box. Then you got all these other boxes, right? We got work box, we got sports box, we got money box, we got relationship box, we got hobby box, we got time box. We got all these other boxes. And we certainly do not want the Jesus box to touch the work box. Right? So I can go to church and I can be real, yeah, only king forever and pray and isn't it great? But then I'm going to go out to eat after church and I am going to be so mad because I asked for gluten-free bread and she gave me gluten-full bread. And so I'm going, to, I'm going to not tip her well because she should have got my gluten out of there. That is Jesus in a box. You should be eating gluten anyway. It's a blessing of God, grain and wheat, okay? <laughs> That's another, another point. Or I'm going I'm to go worship and I'm going to go to my men's Bible study and then I'm going to light up my employees and I'm going I'm to flirt with the secretary and I'm going to have a foul mouth. It's Jesus in the box. And, and don't, we won't even talk about that hidden box that I got. And, and don't, don't talk about my financial goals box. And don't talk about my girlfriend box. 
secret box that no one knows that's under the bed. And they never connect. Right? It's, it's cultural Christianity. I got my fish in my car. I got a couple verses on my Facebook page, just enough to cover me. I, I'm following Billy Graham, so I get his tweets. I'll retweet them once in a while just so everyone knows. And then I'm driving down Duran giving the one finger wave. Right? I'm, I'm cussing at the ref of the six-year-old basketball game because you know that matters. Right? I'm, I'm getting in fights on Facebook with people I never met. And they see my verse. They'll repent then and come to my argument. It's cultural Christian. It is putting Jesus in our little church box. It's, it's the same hearted that comes up and says, wow, what a church service. Man, great. Did you hear the drums? And Fowler, man, he made fun of Cain again. I love it when he does that. That's awesome. Cain will get his turn next week. But and then we leave and, and you, don't, you haven't worshipped God. You haven't heard from God. You haven't loved the people of God. I heard a funny story. I don't know if it's true or not. I'm going to assume it's true because it's on the internet because everything's on the internet. It's true. Um, that FDR, when he was president, used to just hate receiving lines. And all, you know, the White House, everyone coming, oh, Mr. President. And he'd have to do all these receiving lines. And he was sick of just going through these receiving lines where people wouldn't listen. They just wanted to talk or they just wanted to say their own thing. And, and so he did a little experiment one day. And so he's walking through the... Uh, receiving line, and to every single person in the receiving line, he would shake their hand with a big old smile on his face and say, I murdered my grandmother this morning. And all the people would be like, that's very good, Mr. President. We're so proud of you. And he just walked down, thank you so much for what you're doing. Oh, that's awesome. And, and he walks down and finally gets to this one foreign diplomat, and he says, I murdered my grandmother this morning. The diplomat leans in and says, I'm sure she deserved it, sir. <laughs> the one guy that's listening I think the heart of culture of Christianity is I did my church. I got notes. See them? Your Bible is full of them. Some of them are just like George Costanza's wallet, that one episode. You got notes that are that thick in your Bible. And you're still ignoring your spouse. And you're still in that secret life. Right? It's a cultural deal. And look, I am so guilty of this. I'm telling you. I'm thinking, and I, I, get, I know this. I preach in sermon. I got my preacher box on right now. And Mondays, I am, let me just tell you, if you call me on Mondays, you might think I'm not Christian sometimes. Because I am grumpy and tired and all these things. And this, I mean, I'll have my preacher box. And you can ask my kids and my wife, and they will tell you how wicked I really am. I, I was short this week. I had a you know, long week, and I had a long day at work. I come home. I'm short with my kids. I'm short with my wife. I'm even angry. I got my preacher box. I'm doing my Bible study. I got my sermon all ready. And then I'm yelling at my wife. I am as guilty as you are. And the point is this, that Jesus is not a box for us to put him in. Jesus is a savior to be adored. He's a God to be loved. He's a king He's to be followed. That's what we want to be, right? Here's another way, real quick. I see this idea of putting Jesus in the box. This is more aimed at you younger folks because I see this a ton in your generation. So let me just encourage you 
and, and, and at the same time put you on guard. There is a movement in your kind of generation, right? The millennial Christian generation where there is this, we want to be like Jesus, but we want to leave truth behind. Like we just want to be Jesus, but we don't really care what the scripture says. And it's one of the most subtle but powerful attacks of the enemy. And it's, I see it all the time. And let me just tell you, you cannot break the two. You can't pull Jesus away from his word. You know his nickname in the book of Revelation? That Jesus is wearing a robe dipped in blood and his name, it says, is the word of God. He himself says, I am the way, I am the truth. Another, again, in Revelation, he is riding a white horse and the one who is riding on this horse, his name is faithful and true. You cannot split Jesus from his word. Right? He is love, but his word is truth. And, 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 and so don't buy into the deal. Well, we'll be like Jesus, but we'll leave truth behind. Because we don't want to talk about what the, what the world says about sexuality or what the world says about marriage or the world says about this and that. No, Jesus loves us enough to tell us the truth, so it's okay. Right? But here's the thing. You cannot have truth without love. You can have, I mean, you can have truth without love, and that is, is brutality, and we see that all the time. Some of us have been guilty of that. Some of us have been on the receiving end of that. There's a whole chapter of the Bible that's written against that. You can have all the truth you want. Fill your Bible up. Without love, it is useless, right? If I speak with the tongues of angels, if I have faith to do all these things, if I heal, if I... So, so you can have some truth without love, and it is, it is empty. But you cannot have love without truth. Because ultimately, true love... It, it seeks the best of those it's, it's receiving it. It seeks the best for the other person. God demonstrates his love. How? That while we are sinners, Christ dies. And so there, you can't separate the two. It's not loving for me to stand up here and to lie to you and tell you that the Atlanta Falcons are going to win the Super Bowl. It's a lie. I know you got your hopes up, some of you. It's not going to happen. All right? Good season, y'all. But it's not going to happen. Right? It's not loving for me to stand up here and sugarcoat. Right? It's, it's for me to lovingly tell you the truth of Jesus. Jesus tells us the truth. Right? And so, so we cannot split the truth in Jesus. We cannot break it up into two different pieces. He is one and the same. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Here's one more. And since I'm already stepping on toes, I'll, I'll, I'll probably get emails for this, but that's all right. I'll just forward them to Radford. Okay? But Jesus is not part of a political party. Don't put him in that box. He did not come to cause a political revolution. That is what they wanted. Do you realize that they wanted a political savior? They wanted an overflowing of Rome. And Jesus' plan was not to, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to overflow Rome and I'm going to set up a Christian government in here. It's not what his plan was. His plan was to change culture. You know how? By having you and me filled with the Holy Spirit, being great citizens of our country... Great employees, great students, loving people, and that we would infiltrate from the inside out and change from the inside out, which is exactly what happened with the early church. That's his plan until he one day comes back and sets up a kingdom, not a republic, not a democracy. It'll be a kingdom with one king on the throne. All right? So, so stop acting like your agenda politically is Jesus's. Right? Because he's not 
He's the one who ordains leaders, good and bad. He put Nero on the throne. He put Obama on the throne. He put Trump on the throne. He put Reagan on the throne. He put JFK on the throne. He put Abraham Lincoln on the throne. It is his deal. Our job is to be faithful to him, period. And so that's, that is what we want to do, right? We influence by following Christ, by not putting him in a box. So let's blow up all the boxes. If you got a bulletin, pull out your little bulletin. You got notes here. Here's what you need to do. Oh, I have a pen up here. This is an egg hawk. All right, throw me that pen real quick. Thank you, ma'am. Just make a box. One big box. In the middle, Jesus Christ. Put his name. And then you can make little boxes off. This is the, this is the box. See, this is what we want. We want all of our boxes connected to him. So he influences our work. He influences our money. He influences the way we talk to our spouse. He influences the way I do college. He influences my hobbies, my time. That's what we want. He is at the center. That's what, that's what Christians do. Cultural Christians have Jesus box, work box, da 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 Y'all, the world is sick of cultural Christianity. We are the mockery of the world. We are a skit on Saturday Night Live. Right? And so... This is, this is what we want. Christ in the center, and everything flows out of that. That's the goal for us. Are we going to be perfect? No. Are you going to yell at someone? Yes. But we come back, and we say, you know what? This is not who I am. Boom, and go. That's the first thing. Don't put God in a box, okay? So let's not be that church. Got my fit, Christian fish. Got me covered, right? Here's the second one. This is even harder. <laughs> Love those who we don't like. Like, I know about this. I lived in Dallas for three years as an Eagles fan, okay? And now I live in Atlanta Brave Country. So God is testing me with my life and ministry, right? Putting me around all y'all. Seriously. Why are they so mad? Because Jesus is implying that he is going to go to people they don't like. That's what, that's what he's doing. He is offering something that they think they deserve to a people that they know they don't. They think that they deserve the salvation, but they don't really want it. They know that they don't deserve it, but they need it. It is the height of cultural Christianity. It's the heart that says, we are better than you. We're better than you. We think that if Jesus came to town on a Sunday today, he'd go to church somewhere because that was his custom. We actually probably think deep down in our heart that he would come to CBC. Right? I mean, we're like, yeah, where else would he go? Right? I mean, and we just, maybe there's a short list. We're on, the, we're on the short list. There's five churches or so. Maybe, the, you know, the reality is this. If Jesus came to town, you know where he probably would be worshiping? It would probably be under the bridge with that makeshift little church for the homeless people. Or it would be at this nursing home where these folks, these senior saints that can't leave, so they have a church service there. Or it would be at one of the addiction facilities where these people are trying to break free of their sin. That is probably where he would worship. Right? He loved the unlovely, right? He loved them. And so if he loved them, we got to love them. And this idea that, that Jesus is like me, he wasn't. And he loved, I love that the gospels just keep highlighting, there he goes again with a bunch of sinners. Oh, there he is again with a bunch, don't you love that about him? He breaks all the paradigms. You think he's going to be at the, the community group and the Bible study and he's off with the sinners, and so here's the encouragement. Here's just the encouragement to you. you. You need to be with lost people. 
If all your friends are Christian, if that's all you got is your little Christian group and that's all you, you got, you are not following in the footsteps of Jesus. It may feel like it because everyone's quoting verses to you all day long, but you're not really. There's got to be an engagement with the lost. And that means people that you don't like. I mean, people that are different politically. Politically different. Ethnically different. People that are right and have dark pasts. People that are right now in the middle of a dark present. Do you realize if, if, if no one comes to me, I have a dark past? Foul mouth fowler. But, but Christ rescued me. Right? And, and so you, if you're going to be breaking the cultural Christianity, Christian fish with a you know, re, re, Republican right bumper sticker on your car, and that's, that's your Christian, if you're going to break that, you're going to go after people. You know what I love? There's things going on in this church that no one knows about. You know, we have several people that meet with the refugee, refugees downtown from this church. Right? And, that, and that scares some of us, and they're down in the middle of it. We got, we got our, our neighborhood ministry we got awesome opportunities to get with people. Let, here's your homework, all right? I'm going to start giving homework every week, all right? And so when I say homework, you say homework. So ready? Homework. All right, good. So that's going to be our new thing. because I, I don't want us leaving doing nothing. So here's your homework. Who's the person, when I say that you don't like, who's the first person that comes in your mind? And you have somebody. I know you do. It might be the guy at the office who's lazy, drives you nuts. Your teacher, it might be that one kid that always disrupts your class. It might be the neighbor who's always complaining about whatever. It might be the, 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 the other person on the, on the whatever team that you're on, that mom that's obnoxious. She's like, ugh. Whoever that person is, this week, your homework is to show them kindness and love in some tangible way. You going to be willing to do that? It's hard. It might be just as simple as, you know, the guy at the office, you can't stand. Hey, buddy. Hey, Jim, can I get you a cup of coffee? I'm going real quick. Simple. Kind. It's that, that kid that's disruptive in your class that you grab him Monday morning before class and you go up to him and you say, hey, man, how was your weekend? What you guys do? Did your family do anything? How's your, how's your? And you get into his life and you're kind and you're loving to them and you're moving towards them. You might be apologizing for something that you've done years ago that that person might be still holding a grudge on. Who knows? Right? It's the neighbor, you're out edging your yard and he's working on his yard and, you're, and you got the edger out on already and you can just keep going down the sidewalk. You're like, hey, hey, Johnny, you want me to just kind of keep going and, and get your driveway too? It, it's just be, the people you don't love. It's easy to love us. Yeah, I went to Georgia. I was a this, I was a that. It's easy to love those people like you. That's, that, even Peter says it's easy to do that. That's why Jesus says love your enemies. See, that's the breaking of cultural Christianity. That's what makes it radically different. They get mad about it. Go hang out at a place that you don't usually hang out. Right? I mean, I'm scared to death of Foxy Loxy. I ain't gonna lie. That place is intimidating to me. I feel like I get judged every time I walk in. Right? But I'm gonna go. I'm gonna get a cup of coffee at some point in the near future. And I'm gonna study there. I can be around people that are not like me. And that like me, right? But that, that's the idea, is that we go to the people. It's beyond the cultural deal. It's hard. But y'all, I want us to be a church that's different, not weird. I'm not talking weird. Some of you think weird is good. I'm not talking weird. 
But there's a distinction between the worshipers of Christ at this place than, than everyone else who says they're in church. There's a difference, a tangible difference because we're not putting Jesus in a box and that we are loving people who are not like us and who are different than us. And now that will not make you popular despite what you think, I promise you, because it didn't make Jesus popular. And the more we believe the scripture and the more we follow it, the more unpopular we will be. But that doesn't mean we're unkind and unloving and weird. We're just different. And I'm telling you, we will have an impact for the Lord Jesus if these are the things we do that we just can't fathom, right? That's what I want to be. We have a Jesus who has set us free from the, the grips of lust and of bitterness and of anger. He has declared the year of Jubilee. And it's so interesting that the, the, the language there, the, the verb tense when it says, I am sent to do this. It's a, it's a tense where he was sent then and he is still being sent. This is an offer of freedom for all of us today to be free, to have a life and a life abundantly. But it's only found in Christ as his, our King and our Savior. Right? And so let's, let's worship him. Let's reflect on some of these things. Let me pray and then we'll sing uh, together to our King. Father, sometimes we, 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 we just do our church thing and then we leave and we do the things we find important. I just pray that today just be a little bit of a wake-up call for us. That as we identify with Christ, um, that we would not in any way just put you in some box that we cannot, uh, that we control that we, in essence, put you as our servants and us on the throne. Um, as a church, I pray for our love, that we would love one another, even when we're hard to love, and that we would love those different. That's what you have called us to. That's what you have commanded us to. That the greatest commandment is to love our God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we would then love our neighbor as ourselves. And you answer the question, who is our neighbor? Our neighbor is our enemy. It's the Samaritan to the Jew. Sworn enemies. And so... You have modeled it, you have commanded it, and so help us by your spirit to do it. And help us to just, just worship you, our King, our God. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the rain. Thank you that we live in a, a great country where we freely worship uh, and we can reflect on you. And it's in your name I pray.